Book Two from the Point of View of Lady Bridget O'Hara. Chapter Three of Lady Bridget in the Never Never Land by Rosa Prayed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. They had only one more talk in the real sense before their marriage, and that was an unpremeditated but natural outrush of the vague jealousy which slumbered at the core of McKeith's love. It was on the last evening, and it made an ineffaceable impression upon him. They were standing, after dinner, close together by the balustrade of the terrace. It was a clear night, with a young moon, and the stars set deep in blue so dark that the sky gave an impression of solidity. The air was full of scents, and of a soft balminess, with the faint nip of an early May in the southern hemisphere. He had folded her light scarf round the childlike shoulders. The touch of his big hand stirred her. It had not often done so in that peculiar way. It roused something in her that she had thought dead or drugged to sleep, and took her back for an emotional moment to a certain late summer evening at Hurlingham, when she and Willoughby Maule had stood in the garden together under the stars. There came to her an almost fierce reaction against that moment. She felt a distinct emotion now, but it was different, less tumultuous, and bringing her a soft sense of enfoldment. She slipped her hand gently into McKeith's, and they remained thus for nearly a minute without speaking. He was the first to break the silence. "'Bridget,' he said impetuously, "'we're going to be husband and wife tomorrow. It makes me tremble, darling, with happiness and hope, and with fear too. What have I done, a rough bushy like me, to win a woman like you? Well, you know how I think about that, and I don't believe in a man belittling himself to the woman he loves.' though it's just because he loves her so that he feels unworthy of her. And then it comes over me again, badly sometimes, how little I really know of you, and of your life, and of your feelings towards the other men you must have had to do with. One other man in especial, maybe, that you've loved, or may have thought you loved. That's what I want to know about, my dear. Her face was turned from his as she answered. What's the good of your knowing, Colin? Whatever there was is past. But is it past? Over and over again. I've started to ask you, and have pulled back. Now it's got like a festering sore in my heart, and I'm afraid it will go on festering unless I'm satisfied. There was somebody in especial, a man you cared for, and might have married, if he had been a finer sort of chap than he turned out to be. She looked at him sharply. How do you know? Has Rosamond Talent been telling you? No, he said with complete candour. There wasn't a word of that sort passed between us, and I wouldn't have heeded it if there had. Joan, then. No, I'm sure Jane Gildea wouldn't have talked behind my back. You may bet your life on that. Joan hasn't said anything about whatever love affairs you may have had. Every girl has had love affairs. I'm no exception to the rule. There's been no real harm in them. Let them lie, buried in oblivion. They're not worth resurrecting. No, but— he persisted, thinking all the while of that letter. Bridget, I must ask you this one thing. Is there any man in the world you care for more than you care for me? I know, he added sadly, that you don't love in the way I love you, in the way I'd like to be loved by you. I know that's too much to expect, yet. The melancholy note in his speech touched her. I told you that I do want to love you, Colin. Only I can't help being what I am, she said softly. She looked up at him in the pale brightness of the thin moon and myriad stars. 
he stood with a faint illumination from the open windows of government house upon his fine head and his neat fair beard it intensified the gleam in his earnest blue eyes while it softened his angularities and bush roughness and as she looked up at him she could not help feeling what a splendid fellow he was what a man so much finer than that other man to whom she had nearly given herself ah she had had an escape under all his show of romantic adventure his ardent protestations his magnetic charm that other man had been utterly sophisticated worldly self-interested he had shown this in his money-grabbing in his disloyalty both to the woman he had professed to love and to the woman he had married for her fortune thinking of him in this way lady bridget felt that in time she might come to care a great deal more for colin mckeith he caught up her last words yes i know that you want to love me biddy and i hope with all my heart and soul that you will or else he broke off his face darkening or else what i don't know it would be hell i can't think such a thing at this moment if it comes well i'll face it as i've had to face other ugly things don't let us speak of the possibility she sensed some quality in him that she had not realized before you frighten me a little colin it's as if i may any day come up before something i wasn't prepared for and yet i rather like it he smiled at her i'm glad you like it anyway you seem to me such a child biddy though you were always telling me you were such an old soul i can't for the life of me make out what you mean by that oh a soul that has come back and back and has lived a great many perhaps naughty lives hmm yes well one life is good enough for me and as we can't prove the other thing what does it matter anyhow i wouldn't want you in another life if you were going to be quite a different person i want you as you are in this one and so i reckon would any man who has ever been in love with you let us go back now to what i was asking you biddy there was a man one man that you did care for you've admitted as much yes i suppose there was and not so long before you came out here i suppose that's true too bridget do you know what's been festering in my mind the thought that you might be marrying me in a fit of pique a sort of reaction biddy tell me honestly my dear if it's anything of that sort she seemed to be considering i don't quite know how to answer you colin if i'm to be absolutely honest and i'd always rather tell you the truth thank god for that let there be truth between us truth at any cost you see she said slowly my whole coming out here everything i've done lately has been done in reaction against all i've done and felt before would you have married that man if everything had been on the square what do you mean by on the square i've done nothing to be properly ashamed of no no i was thinking only of him biddy did you love that man really love him i'm not sure yet whether i'm capable of what you'd call loving really i had a violent attraction to him he remembered the phrase i confess i did feel it dreadfully when he married someone else now it doesn't hurt me and of course he has gone out of my life altogether i'm glad he has and i hope he will keep on the other side of the world well let it stop at that he drew a breath of relief i don't believe you really cared for him if you had you couldn't take it as you do i'll never bother you again about that man and oh 
my dear my dear it doesn't seem to me possible that you shouldn't come to love me when i love you as i do with my whole heart and soul i worship you biddy and i'll not say again that i'm unworthy of you a man who loves a woman like that can't be unworthy he took her in his arms and kissed her and this time she did not resist the caress they were married with much flourish of trumpets and local paraphernalia never before in the annals of leichardt's land had a wedding taken place from government house this one was regarded as quite an official event the executive council at that moment about to undergo the pangs of dissolution attended in a body there were a great many members of parliament present also it became even a question whether the official uniforms worn at sir luke's swearing-in should not lend a clap to the occasion but colin mckeith vetoed that proposition the bridal party drove straight from the church to that same extemporised wharf by the botanical gardens which had been put up for the governor's state landing it had been reconstructed and redecorated for today's event thus the embarkation of the bride and bridegroom of the viceregal party and the wedding guests in the government yacht which was to take the new-made pair to the big mail boat in the bay was almost as imposing a ceremony as the governor's entry into his new kingdom the day was glorious an early australian winter's day when the camellia trees are in bud and the autumn bulb shedding perfumes and garlands of late roses honeysuckle and jasmine are still hanging on trellis and tree as the bridal party came down the avenue of bunyas and the band played the wedding chorus from lohengrin a feeling of dreamlike incongruity came over bridget she laughed hysterically what a pity joan gildea isn't here she said think of the copy she might have made out of this lady tallant had conceived the original idea of having the wedding breakfast on the deck of the government yacht while it steamed down the forty miles between leichardt's town and the river bar beyond which in those days large vessels could not pass there the repast was laid on tables decorated with white blossoms and maidenhair fern under an awning festooned with flowers and exotic creepers and supported apparently by palm trees and tree ferns which had been taken from the government gardens the bride looked small pale and quaint in her white satin dress and lace veil now thrown back and partly confining the untidily curling hair some of the reports described her as being like an old picture others as a vision from fairyland she came barely up to her husband's shoulder as they stood together and the adoring pride of his downward gaze at her stirred all the women's hearts and roused a sympathetic thrill in the men's breasts colin made a good show in the regulation bridegroom's frock coat and with a sprig of orange blossom in his buttonhole there was no doubt that he was extremely happy he gave a short manly speech in response to sir luke's rather academic oration proposing the health of the wedded pair the premier too made a speech and so did the attorney-general who was best man bridget's bridesmaids had been selected from the daughters of the executive with as much attention to precedence as though she had been a royal princess all this had delighted the leichardstonians and when sir luke read out the congratulatory cablegrams received that morning from the earl and countess of gaverick eliza countess of gaverick and one or two other members of the british aristocracy the enthusiasm was great the speeches were over the wedding cake had been cut the river bar and the liner were in sight when lady bridget went below and changed into sea-going blue serge the mail-boat beflagged in honour of the occasion dipped to salute the governor led the bride along the gangway introduced the captain of the mail-boat and there were more congratulatory speeches 
and still more of official ceremony as the bride passed by a line of inquisitive and admiring passengers fortunately there were not many and down to the stateroom prepared for her then the curtain seemed to fall that divided her from her past and when the governor stepped again on to the leichardt's land yacht and the last farewell had been waved lady bridget felt thankfully that she had become a private individual at last only just bridget wife of colin mckeith bushman now starting upon her voyage towards the wild she could not get away from the bewildering sense of unreality it dominated every other feeling she did not even reflect that there was no going back that her fate was sealed and that the bush was henceforth to be her prison or her paradise all the way up the river rosemary tallant congratulated herself upon having done the best that was possible for poor biddy the failure it was all entirely satisfactory she wove a halo of romance round colin mckeith and after reading her laudation of him and her description of bridget's send-off old lady gaverick and the impecunious chris and his wife declared to each other that biddy had done as well for herself as the family had any reason to expect eliza lady gaverick was highly pleased though she would not for the world have let her niece by marriage know it being scotch herself she approved of the scotch bridegroom and began now to think seriously of the alteration she subsequently made in her will it was four days passage to Louraville, the port at which the mckeiths were to be dropped not being a good sailor lady bridget retired to her berth when the steamer got into a choppy sea of course she had no maid colin unpacked the cabin trunk and dressing-bag and arranged things so far as he could understand his wife's dainty toilet equipments and his mistakes made them laugh and got them over the first awkwardness of close quarter then he said now i'm going to stow away my own traps my cabin is just facing this and you've only got to call out if you want anything eh but my word biddy it's a fine thing to be marrying from government house the company has done us both proud end of book two chapter three